You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. A $229 million multifamily real estate portfolio was just foreclosed on in Houston, Texas. It's the first of what will likely be many more of the same. If you're a multifamily investor, either passively or actively, you're going to get a lot of really good advice from today's show. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Rising interest rates have taken a toll on multifamily investments, especially those that took on bridge debt over the past few years. On today's podcast, James Ang will be joining us. He has over 17 years of experience in commercial real estate lending, starting his career as an underwriter at GE Capital Real Estate prior to joining Old Capital in 2015, where he's currently the national director. James has worked with hundreds of investors to help them acquire over $1.5 billion in multifamily property, totaling over 20,000 units nationwide. And he's here with us on The Real Wealth Show to share some really important information and tips for those of you who may be struggling in multifamily or those of you looking to acquire over the next few years. James, welcome to The Real Wealth Show. It's so great to have you here. Oh yeah, thanks for having me, Kathy. We had a really interesting conversation at the Best Ever Conference. I was so honored to be sitting next to you and and get to hear kind of some in, insider information that's not so insider anymore. It's become more, more public. Uh, there was just a, a foreclosure last week, I believe, 229, I think, what is it? 229 million. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big yeah. number. Yeah. So yeah. across 30, yeah, 3,200 units or so uh, here in Texas. So I'm in Dallas. And, um, yeah, it was just down in Houston. So this did not surprise you. It didn't surprise me because I mean, just the last couple of years. And I mean, we, back in March, uh, we were, we were having this conversation just around how deals were getting financed. And so my background is in, uh, banking. And so I spent some time at G capital, uh, for 10 years. And then the last seven, eight years have been financing multifamily. And so I've seen sort of the iterations that investors have had to go through to buy properties and it's just gotten harder and harder. And so the last couple of years, it has definitely been um, more leverage and more floating rate. So that's sort of what caught up to this uh, general partner on this deal. Okay. So we, let's, let's go back over the last two years to what you just said. It's been harder and harder for uh, buyers to find deals that penciled. So would you say that meant that the underwriting was getting looser? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, let's let's take it back to maybe 2016, 2017. Majority of the deals that were financed on the multifamily side were with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac basically look at your in-place income and they underwrite to that number um, on the income side. And they they might do some pro forma expenses on taxes and insurance and things like that. But Pretty much it's, it's based on your in-place NOI. So that is probably number one. Um, and so majority of the deal is penciled to, let's say, 75%. So if you're buying a $10 million deal, you could get a six and a half, seven million million, $7 million loan. And that worked for majority of the people. Um, but then what happened was essentially in 2021, 22, the same way that the Fed sort of, um, you know, put helicopter money on everybody. Uh, you know, consumers were getting money. Well, banks were getting money and people had to invest the money. And so a lot of money came into the multifamily space. 
And what that led to was a lot of bridge lenders. So on that same deal, let's say $10 million, um, you know, it was getting bid up. So Fannie and Freddie would say, all right, I can give you $6 million. And that worked um, at a $10 million price. But so many people were bidding on deals, let's say in Dallas. It went from 10 million to 11 million to 12 million to 14 million to 15 to 16 million. And then all of a sudden, uh, Fannie Mae was still at $7 million. And so your <laughs> leverage on a Fannie Freddie loan at the time, let's say in 21, was 40% or 50%. So there was no, they didn't change their loan because the NOI was the same. And so a lot of people. So, so let me stop you there. Net, NOI is net operating income. So Fannie yeah. and Freddie, these are government backed loans. We're right. being more conservative saying we're only looking at the current income versus expenses and we'll lend on that. On that number. Yes. Yeah. So you need, your NOI needed to be 25% higher than the debt payment on an amortizing basis. And so if your yeah, so if your debt service was a hundred thousand, then your NOI needed to be 125,000 on an annual basis. And so going back to that $10 million example, if you bought the deal for 10 million and you got a 70% loan and Fannie and Freddie gave you 7 million, everybody was happy. That worked for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, but what happened was there was just so much competition in the space and so much lending in the space that basically that bid up prices. So prices went from 10 million to 15 million to 20 million. And then all of a sudden, uh, that same $6 million loan just doesn't work. At 40% leverage, it doesn't work. And so a lot of people started taking bridge loans and these bridge loans were based not on in-place income at the property today, but it was based on a year three pro forma. So they said, all right, the rents today are a thousand dollars and now you're going to take them to 1300 or 1400 or $1,500 after executing your CapEx plan. And so they gave you the loan based on that number. So okay, I'm going to stop you there again yeah. for people yeah. under, uh, I, I told you in advance I would do this to just uh, interpret what you're saying. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, when you say bridge loan, this is a short-term right. loan. This is just a loan. Two to three uh, years. Yeah. Two to three years. Like if we were talking about a fix and flip for a single family home, that's like a hard money loan where the hard yeah. money lender comes in and says, oh, I see you're buying this $50,000 house, but after you renovate it and increase the rents, it will be worth a hundred thousand. So we're going to give you the hundred thousand or maybe not a hundred thousand, like although 80, I think yeah, 80,000. 80, yeah. So you're, you're paying, uh, 60,000, uh, $60,000 for a home. It's going to be worth a hundred, but the bank will lend 80. So it's more than what you're paying because basically the bank's paying for the renovation. Is that the same with a commercial property? Very similar. So a lot of these bridge loans, they gave you 80% of the purchase price, and then they gave you 100% of the rehab. And uh -huh. so it, on these deals where, let's say you paid, let's say you paid 20 million, let's try to do the math easily, uh, 20 million, they gave you 80%, so 16 million. And then let's say you had 2 million in rehab, so 18 million was your total loan amount. Then people, people basically took those loans because they only could raise 20 to 25% equity. And so on paper, the IRR, the cash on cash, everything looked better uh, because at the time, interest rates were low. So not only was the leverage higher, but majority, I would say probably 85% of these loans were floating rate. So they were based on an index, let's say LIBOR or SOFR. SOFR is the new index. And that index was zero, essentially, or 25 basis points or 25.25%. Uh, and then you just had a spread on top of that. 
So when you started the loan, it was at 3%. So, you know, the, I think the corresponding uh, single family is, you know, back in 2005, 2006, people started using adjustable rate mortgages. And when it made that adjustment, uh, people were in trouble because they could barely make the payment on the first, first payment when it was super low. Uh, but on this, you know, it was, you know, they had to make the payment every month and it adjusted super quick. So in the last 12 months, I mean, the Fed has raised, I don't know how many times, but it basically went from zero to 5% as your index. So back in 2008, I, I love the comparison. There were a lot of people, I was a loan broker then too, mm -hmm. and uh, there were a lot of crazy loans out there like this pushing, you know, just pushing, pushing, pushing the envelope uh, with these adjustable rate mortgages. In fact, back then we would be giving loans based on a teaser rate, qualifying people on a just a teaser rate, not the real rate, and certainly not on the rate that it would be once it adjusted. And of course, we know what happened. Many banks made those decisions and failed as a result. So now let's kind of fast forward in that single family arena. That isn't really the case. There's not that many people that got the adjustable rate loans. Most are fixed. But what we're, where we're seeing the stress today is in commercial real estate because it almost sounds like the same thing, but for much, much bigger deals. So it, are, do you think banks are in trouble today like they were in 2008 when it comes to commercial real estate? So a lot of the banks, what they did was they would originate these bridge loans and then they would securitize the deal or securitize the loan. So they'll package up you know, a 10 million with a 20, with a 30 and package that up and into, you know, it might have 30 or 40 loans and might add up to about a billion dollars and then securitize that into the market and investors would buy those different tranches. So very similar to single family back in 07, 08. And so a lot of the banks, they might have a little bit of exposure, but a lot of the people who are doing bridge loans were banks you've never heard of. So they don't have, they're not the Wells Fargo, they're not the Bank of America, they're not the people who have deposits out there. I think uh, a little bit of the trouble is going to come for those guys on the regional side is that they were they were still doing loans, but they were on office, industrial, retail. And so my, my specialty is more on the multifamily side. Um, so on the multifamily, a lot of the, the loans were done either by these sort of non-bank lenders or um, uh, Fannie and Freddie. Okay. So securitize, I'm going to just go over that again for our audience. This means that just like back in the two th early 2000s, uh, the, these loans would be given and then packaged and sold to investors. Uh, in this case, it's the it's commercial mortgage-backed securities, right? right. Yep. So these these banks would make these loans and then sell them off as securities. Were those A-rated like they were back in 2005, 6, 7, and 8? Well, there's there's always a tranche um, that is AAA. And so mm -hmm. when it's AAA rated, people were still buying that tranche, um, you know, in, just depending on how it's rated, a certain percentage of the tranche was triple uh, A, and then some might be double A, and then single A, and then the B piece is probably the riskiest piece, and that that piece was getting um, the highest interest rate, right? So if you buy the triple A tranche, you're sort of the last to get hit if there's any trouble, uh, but you also get the lowest interest rate. So at the time, they were giving, let's say on the triple A tranche, let's let's say they were giving four percent. But the ten-year Treasury in 2021 was one percent, or you know, in 2022 is one percent. So 
everyone's looking around trying to get yield and they have all this money. And so all these securities were getting bought up left and right. There was no problem selling them because there was no way to get yield anywhere else. It's always so interesting looking back, isn't it? Because looking back, it all seems so obvious. But when you're in the middle of it, there's so much euphoria. I'm looking left and right at people making millions of dollars. And our underwriter was turning down every single deal. And I was going to fire our underwriter. So I'm like, why won't you let me do a deal? Uh, because he was not being, he, he, he was being extremely conservative. He was assuming that, um, you know, eventually, rates would go back up. They were low simply because of the pandemic. It was a pandemic low. And as we were coming out of the pandemic, things were going to come back to normal. Uh, do you think bank, um, um, just, just again, just, can I jump in? Yeah, please point? jump in. So the, um, it was very difficult because I started in the business in 2015 and all the way up until 2019, um, people pretty much had used Fannie and Freddie um, on larger loans and then smaller loans was more just sort of your recourse bank loans. So not a lot of people did bridge loans. And then in 2020 was mostly Fannie and Freddie during COVID, but then 21, 22 is when a lot of these loans come in, came into play. And a lot of my clients who had been sort of through 15, 16, 17, 18, they were sort of looking at me like, I can't win any deal. Like I put in a bid at 10 million and someone put it, someone buys it for 16. Like they weren't even close on these deals. And, you know, as a general partner, it's, it's hard because a lot of these people, um, you know, they're charging a fee on the acquisition, they're charging asset management fees, they're making a promote on the deal. And if you do no deals, it is hard to sort of keep the lights on um, mm -hmm. for a lot of general partners. And so for, for those people, it, it was hard. It, it felt like forever. That's why it just felt like you because you saw people who bought deals in 21 and they sold them 12 months later for three X equity multiples. And you were just like, what did I miss here? That, that was me. I was on the <laughs> sidelines. I literally invited I had a syndication uh, mastermind where I invited 12 people to my house. And, and I'm like, what am I missing? You know, Tell me what I'm missing. Because I, I it, it is real. There's a huge amount of FOMO, fear of missing out. Yeah. I was watching brand new syndicators come in and make millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's challenging, and I mean, um, you know, at the at the conference we were at, I mean, there was syndicators from across the nation, and I talked to a lot of them, and the what I saw was that pretty much they all had great track records, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, if they had been in the business, and then now anybody who bought really anything in twenty one, twenty two, they sort of stretched, right? So mm -hmm. they. At that time, you know, they maybe did a $10 million deal, then they went to 20 million, then they went to 50 million. And they just stretched in that sort of last 21 and 22 time cycle. And now they have an issue, right? So they have to figure out what do I do now? Um, do Can I refinance um, out of this bridge loan? Can I refinance out of this floating rate loan? And some of those deals do work. Like if you've executed the business plan, and you've you've done everything that you're supposed to do, but other times it doesn't work, right? So if you missed anything, right? Like if you didn't buy an interest rate cap, if you didn't execute your business plan to a T, or you didn't buy at a good basis, like essentially you're underwater right now. Let's talk about rate caps because a lot of my audience might not know what that is. Is that common or was that something that just 
is new over the last few years? And no, what it, is it? it? It was a common thing. And <laughs> okay. so, so when, when you, when you take an adjustable rate mortgage, it is a index plus a spread. And so the index that was used sort of pre COVID was really LIBOR and, but now it is SOFR. And so if you go, um, you can go on Chatham, Chatham Financial and look up just like the SOFR forward curve. It essentially, uh, mirrors the federal funds rate. Okay. So that is the index. So the index is part one and then you add part two. So part one is the index and part two is the spread. The spread is typically sort of what the lender charges over the index, and that is your interest rate. So index plus your spread is your all-in interest rate. And so when a lot of these loans started, SOFR was zero, and then your spread was 300. So you were paying 3%. You're like, this is great. I can buy deals at three and a half cap rates. I can buy them at 4% cap rates because my debt's only 3%. And... I look at the SOFR forward curve and it's flat for the next 10 years because we're in the middle of COVID and no one's going to raise interest rates. And so that essentially resets every month. So I wasn't in single family, so I don't know how often the resets were, but I don't think they were every month on single family loans. I think that would probably be a little bit too much uh, of a nightmare. I think they reset every five years or 10 years or whatever it was after the teaser rate, but you can you, you can let me know. Uh, but the, all these loans basically, it reset. depended, it yeah, depended, yeah. but it was, it could be six months or a year, but yeah, not so all the, yeah. yeah, all these loans reset every month. And so imagine Ugh. March of 2022, you're paying 3%. And then every time the fed cranks 25, 50, 75, your interest rates going up, right? So all of a sudden you started at uh 3% and now you know, where we sit today, it's essentially 5%. So 5% is your index plus 3%. Now you're at 8%. And, you know, most people, if you bought on a four or five cap, um, so that's your NOI divided by your purchase price, like you can't afford 8% or 9%. So what a lot of uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they actually required you to buy an interest rate cap on the index. So let's say SOFR, and a lot of people would buy a three-year cap. And so that was required by Fannie and Freddie. For the next three years, you're going to have a ceiling on your index. And most people bought probably around a 2 or 3% um, strike. So 2 or 3% cap. Um, so that essentially would cap your index. And every time SOFR was above that, every month you would get paid on that, on that number. And so on a lot of these deals, people are capped at 5 to 6%, which is good. But some bridge lenders said, okay, um, you know, the, the underwriting criteria just got looser and looser. So some bridge lenders, in order to compete, basically just said, well, if you don't want to buy a cap, you don't need to buy a cap. And so if you don't buy a cap, you know, maybe you save some money, right? So in 2021, most of these caps costed about one to two percent of the loan amount so it was a, it was a it was a good number it wasn't a huge number um, but basically that has increased by about five to ten times depending on your strike rate so if you buy a cap right now um, at two percent or three percent and the sofa is five percent basically those guys are already paying you and so that cap is very expensive you mentioned how expensive, like mind-blowingly expensive. What were people paying and now what are they paying? 
Yeah, I mean, we did a lot of floating rate loans in 2020 and 2021. And for a three-year cap, it might cost you $30,000 on a $20 million loan. And it essentially went up about 10x. So it went from 30,000 to 300,000. And so- Per month. No, no, no. So, per, sorry, sorry. Oh. So that was the cost of the cap. The cost okay? of the, the cost to the get The cost it. of the cap, okay. right? But then what happens is if, let's say you bought a cap in 2020 and it's good for three years, then uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac make you escrow on a monthly basis to make sure you have enough money for your next cap, right? And so a lot of these people, they were escrowing 2000 a month and they thought, okay, I'll be good with 2000 a month. I should have enough money by the end of three years. And then that 2000 a month went to 20,000 a month. And then for some people, it jumped up to 100,000 a month. This is on a $20 million loan, 100,000 a month in order to have enough money to buy a cap right now, because the caps are exceedingly expensive right now. So the, the, the escrow, so the bank is yeah. saying you have to escrow this yes. amount now. Yeah, because uh, let's take that $20 million loan. Um, basically, if you only put 2000 a month, that's 30000 35000 the first year. And then you put 20000 a month, that's only like 250000 And now you've got the third year and to buy the cap is a million dollars. So if you need to buy the cap at a million dollars and you only have 200000 and you've got nine months left, they're going to increase that escrow once again. And so a lot of people, their debt payment might be seventy-five to 80000 a month, but then their escrow is 100000 just for the cap. And so that's on top of property taxes and insurance. So a lot of people have negative cash flow on floating rate Fannie and Freddie loans right now. And this is not going to stop until the Fed pauses. So once the Fed pauses, that allows um, these interest rate caps because people don't know. People, people just, it just has, they just have keep kept increasing these rates over and over again. And so people have to price in this volatility. People have to price in paying out these caps to people. And so the cost of the caps are very expensive right now. Well, the Fed is probably going to raise uh, one or two more times. At least that's what I've heard. And that's what they've been saying for a while. They're going to get to five and a quarter or so. Uh, and then hold. So even if the Fed pauses and holds and doesn't reduce, it's people are still in the same boat, right? They are in the same boat, but the cost of the cap will reduce. So okay. once they pause, we typically see um, about a you know fifty percent reduction in cost compared okay. to where it is now. Oh my and gosh! So, so people yeah. need to hold out just to like this summer. People need to hold out. Um, so we we can't. We can't tell if they paused until it takes a couple months, right? So yeah. if they if we have a meeting in May and they do another twenty five, then we have to wait till June and then see a pause there. And then once that, then it sort of goes through the system. Um, but the market is calling for um, the Fed to cut this year. Like they're in. If you look up the SOFR forward curve online, I mean the market is is calling for a cut this year. The Fed obviously can't say that. So they're just going to keep cranking along until they see, I think the inflation numbers come down. Um, overall. Until they see jobs break. They, they, you know, they want to see um, more job, you know, the job market not be as strong, which is unfortunate. Uh, and, you know, just this last report, we saw unemployment go down again, down again, yeah. not up where they want it. So yeah, but I, I just, it's my guess that they're going to do what they said raise one or two more times by a quarter percent and then pause. I hope, 
I hope. That's what they've been saying. Like I put a, a lot of stuff on YouTube. And so I was putting together like this chart of federal funds rate. And if you go back and look like, you know, in 2007, I was like just coming out of school and I, I don't think I knew what the federal funds rate was at all. And if you go back and look in 2007, the basically they had paused in 2007 and held the rate there for a long time. And so I think what, you know, we've seen is that there is usually a lag. So usually the Fed is cutting when unemployment flies up. And so I think I think it's coming. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. If you'd like to find out more about my single family rental fund, we are still accepting investors, accredited investors only, as it is a 506C. Just go to growdevelopments.com, growdevelopments.com. We are not having to worry at all about bridge debt or any of some of these issues that multifamily investors are facing. Views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to realwealthshow.com.